Welcome to the Coach Fury Podcast. This is where fitness and geekdom collide. It's time to live long, be strong, and die mighty. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 81 of the Coach Fury Podcast. Tim Anderson returns to the show. We talk about original strength, our favorite Marvel movies, and his new book that just came out, The Becoming Bulletproof Project. But before we talk to Tim, or you hear us talk, uh, first and foremost, you're going to hear some heavy breathing in the background of this episode. It is not Tim or I, at least I hope it's not. It's actually my dog, Ramona. You might hear her whining in the background right now. Ramona had significant hip and knee surgery last week, and I want to take a moment to thank everybody that sent well wishes, sent her love, good vibes. I'm not one that usually asks for that type of thing, but uh, Kim and I were stressed out, and we're still stressed out because Ramona has been in a lot of pain, has been severely high maintenance, and we haven't slept in about a week now. So uh, thank you for all your support, especially those of you that donated money, um, through Venmo, through PayPal. We didn't do an official GoFundMe because quite frankly, I think there, there are, are bigger causes that probably need that type of thing. Uh, and everybody that bought a Speakeasy Strength shirt uh, to help support Ramona, the, the profits of that, from that shirt, all profits go to help pay for her surgery because it was not cheap. Uh, so anyway, if you hear weird breathing or whining, it is Ramona and she's gonna be okay. That's the important thing, but it has been a rough ride for all of us, especially her. Uh, so thank you for your support on that. Here's other big news, right? There's something really big happened. So we talk a lot about how I train out of my apartment. The class program here has been in the apartment. And for the last two months, uh, or more actually, I've been looking at spaces and look, rent is crazy in Brooklyn. But I am excited to announce that I have found a way. Uh, I will be renting space, renting hours from Brooklyn Center Stage Dance Studio, which is literally only four blocks away from us, offers up a ton more room we're going to have bigger mats, we're getting more kettlebells, we're going to have a battling rope, we're going to get more Indian clubs. We're just going to be able to do more. And I'm taking this class program style that we've been doing and, and, I, and I've been experimenting with it a little bit. And it's going to be more about small group training over there. So I'm still going to be doing personal training at Fury Industries, but I am so excited uh, to work with Val and Heidi over at Brooklyn Center Stage to bring Coach Fury small group training program there. And that's going to start on May 6th. So if you're looking to sign up, for some master level programming, training, coaching, this is it, folks. Visit CoachFury.com. Again, thanks to Val and Heidi for helping make this happen. I'm really excited. Also, really, I, I, from the bottom of my heart, thank you to the Fury crew, the class crew, who have rolled with the evolution of trying to make this successful, whether it was schedule changes. This is going to come with a, a bit of a price hike. Um, they've just been so flexible because they believe in what we're doing here. And it, I'm, I'm, I'm just very grateful. So thank you for that. Again, May 6th, the classes are out of the living room. Small group training at Brooklyn Center Stage on 3rd Avenue and 11th Street in Gowanus. We're still in my neighborhood. It's awesome. Personal training for now is still happening at the apartment. But Kim has her living room back. It's amazing. I'm really excited. Room to grow. Cool things happening here. Uh, let's talk about other cool things real quick. Courses. Look, we're a few weeks away from, actually exactly three weeks away from the DVRT workshop at the Kettlebell Fitness Center in Albany. Got lots of friends showing up for this one. There's still some spots available. Join me and fellow master DVRT instructor, James Newman, teaching this one. Uh, look, James and I love teaching together and we haven't done it in a long time. So 
for this one because Nancy and the crew at Albany at the Kettlebell Fitness Center are such good friends. We want to do something special, not just for them, but also for us. So we're teaming up for this one. Four hours, 99 bucks. Learn the greatest hits of DVRT Ultimate Sandbag Training. Not just the movements, but the why behind it all. Really excited about this one. Uh, again, part of it is because James and I are teaching. Part of it is the location we're going. Uh, Nancy's spot is awesome. But primarily, it's actually the people that are coming. It's going to be an awesome crew. So please, check that one out. And then, June 9th, Original Strength, MFF Bowery. June 15th, MSC Strength. We're going to do Original Strength over there out in uh, Weymouth. Atina's new location, very excited about that one. And then look, DVRT level one and two certifications, July 20th and 21st at Momentum Fitness at Marco's awesome spot. Now look, if you take one of these workshops, like the one on the 28th at the Kettlebell Fitness Center in Albany, that money can be applied to those certs. So you should check that out. August 18th, HKC at MFF Bowery. September 7th, Original Strength, ACWA Tulsa. September 8th, DVRT workshop at ACWA Tulsa. And then uh, taking the end of September off for the DVRT Master Instructor Summit in Vegas. Stoked to see that. I got to remind myself on this podcast to reach out to Artemis and Eric so I can see them. Uh, October 26th and 27th, the RKC at Catalyst. Now, that is actually almost sold out already, which is kind of crazy. Um, if you're interested in taking that, I know on the 12th, one of the early birds ends. Uh, that would be April 12th, whenever you're listening to this show. And then right now, that's about it. There's stuff brewing for November and potentially back to Japan in December, but let's leave it at that. That's enough of that. Hey, if you like the show, rate it, review it. If you want to make a small financial donation to this show, uh, hit up patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Coach Fury Podcast. And look, if 200 people are listening to this and everybody dropped 50 cents to a buck, I've been making an okay check off of this. Again, it's not about the money. This has actually become therapy in a weird way for me and continuing ed for a way for me. Um, but look, your support is appreciated. Uh, one of the things I would really like to do on this show now is get an additional mic, a mixing board, and actually get to travel um, to do more in-person as opposed to Zoom ones. Uh, special thanks to Tim Anderson for coming back on this one. We actually started it the day before this and just my Wi-Fi crapped out and we had to do a do-over. So uh, thank you for that, Tim. Everybody, ugh, I've been talking a lot. Uh, <laughs> let's go on to the show. Episode 81, Yuri and Tim Anderson. Mr. Anderson, thanks for coming back on to the Coach Fury podcast. I've only had significant technical difficulties like three or four times. Uh, there's a mysterious John Duquesne episode that I, I have to get John back on that was completely digitally distorted um, that I literally sent to friends in post-production, like professional audio engineers and editors, and they couldn't get it to be any better. So um, John and I still, it's been over a year, have to do that. Um, I'm trying to save like a special number for John on that one. Kristen Callahan on her second episode, uh, we had some massive connection things and every now and then, and then folks, Tim Anderson and I started talking yesterday and I was blaming his Wi-Fi. where clearly I had to look in the mirror. It was my Wi-Fi, and I don't know what's going on over here. So we're just going to make do. We'll make do. All right. So let's get to, to what we talked about picking up on an episode you haven't heard yet. Cause we're going to do it over right now. Tim just launched a new book called The Becoming Bulletproof Project, or Becoming Bulletproof Project? It's no the. the. Yes, The Becoming Bulletproof Project. All right, I nailed it the first time. 
And I just wanted to find out, I, I've read it. I got a, the Kindle copy yesterday and I literally ordered my, my paperback copy because I, I like, I don't really read Kindles too much. I don't like reading on a computer. So um, tell folks what brought the return of bullet, becoming bulletproof. For listeners that aren't aware, and we'll talk about this again, is, well, it's again for us, but it's will be the first time for you. It's weird. It's like we're in the matrix right now is original strength started as becoming bulletproof and then evolved into original strength. And now over the last year, I guess maybe a little bit actually into 2018, becoming bulletproof started to make as a title became started making like almost, almost like a retro forward comeback. What do they call that in car land? They would call that like a retro mod where it's like you took something old, but then you made it newer as opposed to just like keeping everything original vintage. Not that yes. it's even that old. I'm um, wearing bell bottoms again. <laughs> please send a picture of that. You should be careful because I can make that Godzilla pick might be. You have one of my favorite, favorite pieces of art from Glenn Urieta, uh for the podcast. It might be Godzilla and bell bottoms now. Bell, bell bottoms it is. <laughs> so what, what, what inspired you to, to write this book, Becoming Bullet, The Becoming Bulletproof Project, uh, after most of the books being dubbed uh, Original Strength and the one before that was Habitual Strength? Uh, well, so the idea of becoming bulletproof, um, which is which is what started OS, um, was about being a superhero or like being Superman because I'm I'm just a Superman uh, fanatic. But the idea uh, has never left me about always wanting to to be Superman. And through the last few years, um, through my training and stuff, uh, it, I just had the like it just started wanting to crawl back out of me where I, I there was something I just wanted to to write about um, because I, what I've discovered is, is that we're all created in my, in my, in my mind, in my weird mind that we're all created to be superheroes. Um, and, and this for the last five years, I actually started writing this book in 2013. So it's been a while uh, in the making, um, which is surprising considering how big and thick it is. Right. But yeah. <laughs> so, so um, anyway, it, this really all came about because I, I, I've always wanted to be Superman and somewhere along the way I've discovered that we're all supposed to be Superman or, or Wonder Woman or whoever it is that we fancy. I think it's interesting for a lot of us how it does go back to superhero comics. Like Dave Whitley, the Iron Tamer, clearly he, we, we talked and literally his trajectory in a strength training and feats of strength was from his passion for Marvel Comics. And Alex Falcon mentioned about wanting to be a superhero. I know for me, comic books were a gateway, but didn't affect my fitness. I, I think for me, the, the, the idea of muscles and fitness started with action movies, which I know is no big of a stretch too for my personality. You know, growing up in that sweet spot of Arnold Schwarzenegger and um, Carl Weathers, you know, Rambo, Stallone, all that stuff. In terms of the book, how do you think this differs from one of the original strength books if someone was like wanting to get into it? Because I think there's some really interesting simplified programming things here that, you know, there, there's the strong first book, Simple and Sinister, which again, it's very straightforward, but incredibly difficult to kind of hit the, the high end of it. But I think not that this is a comparison to the two books, they're very different, but I think the end result of some of the things you build to and becoming bulletproof. I don't think people will realize how gnarly they are, but you provide the steps to get there. 
if that makes sense. So what was the switch up in programming from like uh, maybe one of the, the other OS books into becoming Bulletproof? Oh, yeah. So this book is the, the what's next level after, after you say you've laid the foundation with OS and, and you've got all your reflexive strength. This is how do you add to it? Um, and this is much more, I don't want to say brutal, but well, I mean, it's, this can be physically brutal, but it's really mentally, mentally challenging. Um, and to me, this book just differs vastly in that this is not about um, restoring your reflexive strength. This is about now that you've restored it, really make it impervious to, to anything. Um, you know, now it is about putting on the armor or the Kevlar and becoming bulletproof. What would you suggest for somebody? Because we've had this conversation before that a lot of the times, even in OS, somebody goes through the course and then tries to you know, hit like some sort of a Tim Anderson like level of a long crawl or something potentially too soon, you know, like a 10 plus minute or mile crawl. They just get motivated. They might not really be ready, but they hell or high water, make it happen for that one time. For, for those that haven't hit that, what would you think is a good benchmark from like, I have been doing original strength, like practicing original strength to approach the becoming bulletproof project. A good benchmark for for getting there yeah like how would somebody kind of gauge that they're ready to take it to the next level i would say that if you have been diligent and and true to yourself or honest to yourself that you have pressed reset um and you have restored your foundation that if you can if you can crawl like i i'm i'm a stickler for the 10 minute crawl i just because to me just unlocks so many doors uh mentally and physically um, but I would say if you could do that with keeping your butt down below your head, with the ability to keep your lips shut, breathing in and out through your nose, and with your, the ability to keep your head up on the horizon for 10 minutes, I would say that that's a benchmark for that the door is open for you to, to do whatever you want to do. Yeah, I'm slowly rebuilding to that. We, we talked about this yesterday. I got my 10-minute crawl in, but I know I was, I was definitely in – high threshold breathing intention techniques at the last last bit of it but it is it, it's kind of amazing when you see somebody like mark shropshire uh he had posted i think it was actually one of his clients right crawling for like an hour yeah and folks like it's funny i'm actually gonna be doing somewhat of a blog for strength faction on this uh after this podcast is over a video but there's a difference between like Hell or high water, hard styling through a crawl, right? Like yes. just trying to muscle through a crawl. But I always sort of try to relate crawling to, to running or jogging. Like when people jog a marathon, they don't get tenser as they're trying to go farther. They're trying to relax more. And I think that's sort of that switch of an idea between tension strategies where some people view OS as like, you know, or any of these fitness certs as a, as a tension lifting strategy versus a movement strategy. You know, like there's a, a weird dichotomy, like, yes, a barbell back squat is a, is a movement pattern, but just being able to squat is, is just movement. Yeah. So I, I think, so I, I, I think to, to add to what you're saying, I, I think it's kudos to anybody who guts through a 10 minute crawl or an hour crawl, whatever, whatever crawl they did or any, any physical endeavor that they mentally, they have the mental tenacity to gut through it. That's awesome. What, what, what we're trying to do in this book is, is take that mental tenacity and apply relaxation, like you said, um, 
um, and or just honesty to the mental tenacity that, hey, I can do it, but I can do it and maintain good, safe, efficient movement um, so that I can make hard things ridiculously easy that would be just hard for anybody else or that I can still feel good and not destroy my body just because my brain is capable of, of holding on to something without letting go. And what, what do you think the value is on the mental struggle of that, both within training and also just the carryover in outside life? Oh, man. So to me, what I have found and what I've seen in others uh, is that it gives you a sort of, um, and it's weird that you can develop this through physical means of training, but it just gives you a I can attitude or if, if, if life does get hard um, and you got stress at work or a stressful situation at home or whatever, it just gives you a little bit extra gumption to know that, you know what, this is going to be okay. Um, just because you have this, just this knowing in you that, well, I, I can make it through difficult things. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, uh, and for example, uh, in addition to the 10 minute crawl, that almost seems easy compared to some of the things in uh, the new book. What would you say for a frame of reference would be viewed as one of the more complicated end goals of one of the, one of your programming days? Would it be potentially the, uh, the battling rope one? Uh, in the beginning. Yeah. But now, like, it's just, it's just where you are in your journey. Yeah. I think for most people, that's the hardest pill to swallow. That one could be, but after you've done it or, you know, you can do it or whatever it, to me, it's like the, it's one of the easiest things to do now. Well, I think that's one of those, those mental challenges, you know, like you get through that mental struggle on one of them and how, how you were just saying, like you, you start to approach everything with a different can do attitude, but for just what, what would be viewed as the end goal of continuing continuous battling ropes um, that you have in the book. You don't have to give the whole program, but just like one of the end markers that you have for that. So, so, so the listeners have a frame of reference. Like, so to, I, okay. So if I were going to do say use 10 minutes of ropes as my benchmark, I would try to do that maintaining a hundred and a hundred to 110 waves a minute without stopping. And that's, that's waves per arm per minute. So if I'm doing alternating arms is 110 waves, right arm, 110 waves, left arm is 220 waves a minute. Um, if I'm doing them together, it's just 110, but waves a minute with the lips shut, um, breathing in and out through the nose, managing my heart rate, uh, my fatigue, everything where, where you, you, you never have to open your lips. You never have to stop the waves. You never lose cadence. You maintain it the entire time where you can tell time by how many waves you've done for 10 minutes. <laughs> so for those of you that have messed around with battling ropes and might not have gone through like Brookfield cert, that's incredibly hard. And I haven't gone through that cert, but Tim was actually gave me a little bit of programming almost two years ago now, I guess when I, when I thought I was going to go through it. And, uh, that is very challenging, folks. Uh, in some ways, in my head, crawling for 10 minutes seems easier than doing battling ropes for 10 minutes. But again, I think if you accomplish one over the other. At MFF, when we would do our snatch program, one of the, one of the days, one of the lessons we would talk about, we'd always try to have like a philosophical lesson uh, as opposed to just showing people how to lift, was like how you train is how you live. And I think if you can approach, the, the interesting thing with, crawling for 10 minutes or battling a roast, you have to approach that for like a, a sense of calm. Like whenever you're in that re reflexive state that you're going for, as opposed to attention strategy, there has to be a state of physical and mental calm, even though you know going in like, wow, this is going to be gnarly. And I think that's an important thing that I sometimes suffer with on my own is I start to feel like I have this, uh, I'm getting overwhelmed. I start to put my own, I don't know, 
I try to, I start to heighten things with my own level of anxiety sometimes. Right. And I think when you train and you get out of that, it's a wonderful place to be. It happens even in, with the kettlebells. Like somebody came over the other day, um, one of my newer clients, newer crew members, and he's doing kettlebell floor presses, you know, like laying on his back in a glute bridge position, pressing a kettlebell. And he looked to his right where I have all the, the bigger ones where it goes basically 32 to 48. And he was like, does anybody ever get up to those? And I was like, yeah. You know, and I showed him, I, you know, I wasn't showing off. I was just like, this is what's applicable. And I said, just as you spend time with it, the bell that looks large now starts to look like the smaller bell on the rack. And as you get stronger, it's just a perception thing, right? So a 40, somebody comes in, has never seen it. A 40 K kettlebell will look really large. But if you've been working in 32 to 36, Telling that 40 is just like a, you know, slightly above average. It's like a, a new sneaker that instead of getting a size 10 and a half, you got a size 11. It doesn't look like a, a giant shoe. It's just, I think a lot of us in fitness try to get like a size five kid shoe and then try to go in a like a Shaq shoe. Uh, right. But if you take the patience, <laughs> props to Shaq. I just made a sports reference. Who am I? Um, I, I think if you have the patience, it's there. And I think that's where for me, and I think for a lot of people early on with the 10 minute crawl, we sort of lack the patience and we try to gut check through it. And a gut check is meaning their strategies and techniques, different people have different techniques, but from the OS point of view, it's actually not supposed to be a high tension, heavy breathing threshold. We're not supposed to be hard styling this in any sort of way or feed forwarding. It's supposed to be just movement, nasal breathing, um, I don't know where I'm going in terms of making the point with that, but I think it's one of the lost aspects of OS. I think on one end, it's like we just use our eyes and lift our heads up and around and look around. And on the other end, it's like we do these gnarly crawls. And I think there's a lot of space in between that. So if I, I think if you can, the way I, the way I think about it is if you can manage your breath, you can manage your mind. And if you can manage your mind, you can manage your stress levels. And if you can manage your stress levels, you can manage the tension inside of your muscles. And so like, so basically you can, you can still move, still stay calm and still get work done. And then you're not completely destroyed after the task is over with, which means you can do something else. So even if something was, was challenging, you've still got a lot of gas left in the tank and you're still physically able and mentally able to continue on and do something else even more challenging if, if you needed to. Agreed. Agreed. And, and I wanted to talk to you about this, this mental attitude and, and toughness zone. One of the things that struck me about you before we were friends was you do sort of walk with this air and, and it's not like, um, I don't know, conceited or cocky or anything, but there's something about you that like you can believe if you say you're going to do something, I believe you're going to be able to do it. Right. Um, confidence. I couldn't think of it. Air of confidence. I like, if you're going to, I can do that and it'll happen. And I know that you work with John Brookfield, like he was one of your mentors, and I know he's got a heavy influence on this book. Was that something that came from John? Because you two, when I, when I took that, I took a barrel training cert at Tim's place, Tim and Danny's place, the original strength institute in Pequay Marina, North Carolina. And, you know, I basically took it because I wanted to hang out and I wanted to meet John. And, and John could have been like, we're going to have like a barbecue grass watching like we're gonna cook while we watch grass grow workshop and i would have gone to it just to meet john and he had and i didn't realize this because i've literally never met or heard from heard him speak before he had a very similar air and attitude that you do with that like there's just a you look at john and you believe that if he says he's going to do something like pull a tractor trailer a mile in his 60s um yeah you believe that he's going to pull a tractor trail for a mile 
Did you have that going in and he refined it? Or do you think that's something you picked up from him? I, I think is, um, I had the idea going in, but I definitely learned. Um, he helped me definitely to, to build that up and refine it. If, if I've heard him say it once, I've heard him say it a thousand times. He's, Tim, you have to relax under the stress. He would always tell me to relax under the stress. Because if I didn't relax under distress, everything stopped. Your body seizes up. You can't, you can't keep, keep going. Um, so he did teach me that. But along the way, too, every time I had to do something with John, I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> and so just mentally getting, driving to his house or getting ready for whatever it was going to do, dude, I would, it is, is it, I think it brought me closer to God because I would sit there and I would say, like, I found a, Philippians 4.13, where um, the, it's the Bible, it says, um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I would run that verse through my head a, a thousand times a minute every time I had to go do something with John, because I knew he was going to put me through the ringer. Um, so I, I think it was kind of already in me, but he did help me uh, iron it out, so to speak. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. John, listeners, if, if you're not familiar with John Brookfield, everybody now knows about battling ropes like they know about kettlebells. And I think people are dismissive to courses for battling ropes, although I know now suddenly uh, I just saw Kettlebell Kings has one, Onnit has one. You know, Dragon Door tried to launch one with John, but it, it's an interesting thing where people oversimplify what it is, I think, to some degree in terms of how to apply it. And I think, again, there's this idea of like, are we going to just do 30 seconds of waves, like willy-nilly at the end of a thing for a finisher? Or are we actually going to do something where we built the 10 minutes over time? And I think there's two dramatic different outcomes, both physically and mentally, at the end of one as opposed to the other. And I, he's one of those guys, and I, I know he's not like an attention seeker in any way, but I wish more people that are, getting, are newer into the field, now that I'm, you know, not, again, not that I'm a seasoned veteran, but I've got my, my years coming in. And I feel like since he's not public as public, he doesn't write a lot. You know, he does some courses and, it, you know, they get on the radar a little bit that people aren't picking up what he's doing. And I think that was one of the exciting things about your book is like, here's an insight and kind of a refresher that like John's out there doing really solid stuff, really impressive stuff. Whereas like, he's just not a flashy social media guy. So it's not, it's not as a, as aware. That makes sense. It does. So, so he's, he's a real life superhero. Um, like he has no mental weaknesses, no physical weaknesses, but he's also like, he's almost, he's also an artist. Like he's one of the most creative people I have ever met, especially when it comes to physical training. And, and yes, I, I was very guilty when he first told me about the ropes, you know, I didn't know what you know, battling ropes was. And when I saw him do it, I'm like, it's just a rope. What's the big deal? Why would I spend eight hours with you? <laughs> to show me how to do ropes and I was so wrong because it's not just a rope I mean there's he it is so deep and especially it's a deep trip inside of his mind on on how to train and how to to wield your mind and body to do anything it's it's amazing um I my one of my biggest educations was that I I mean he I've learned so much from that man it's it's it's, it's ridiculous but we were talking about building up a rope for 10 minutes, uh, 100, 100 to 110 waves for 10 minutes. If anybody does that, I would say, man, you can do anything you want to do. There is no limits on you whatsoever. Now, John can do that for eight hours straight without stopping. Is now, that for real? Wrap your, wrap your head around that. <laughs> wrap, 
<laughs> Wrap your head around that. Uh, he is not human. He, Eight hours? That he, yeah, he is, he is not human. Um, I, I went to his house one day because he said the, the local news channel wanted to do a, a little film about battling ropes. And they were going to run a, you know, one of those five-minute stories. And he wanted me just to go to his house so that they could video me doing the rope and video him doing the rope and he could talk about the rope. No lie. When he is doing the rope for the camera, you can't see the waves in the rope. You can't see his hands in person. And it looks like the cartoon of the roadrunner's legs uh, <laughs> running in a circle. That's what it looks just a blur. But that rope made a humming noise like the angriest hive of hornets you have ever imagined hearing. And it was amazing. And then when I went back home and watched it on TV, I was like, that is ridiculous. <laughs> He's, it's amazing. That's like Bruce Lee. They used to say the rumor had it that I read that he had, they actually had to slow him down where most martial arts, most martial artists in films, they were actually speeding up to make it look like they were moving faster that Bruce Lee actually had to slow it down so that it would register in the 24 frames per second, per, uh, 24 frames per second of uh, old school film. That's crazy. Is, is it true too? the other, the other story I heard about John was that he did a 45 minute axis crawl in a box. Is that, did I hear that wrong? No. So John, again, he's, he's like, uh, he's like Da Vinci. So he's always trying to figure out how can I make something harder? And then how can I manage the stress in that? So John came up with this idea that he could stress, try to stress his mind as much as absolutely possible by putting himself, well, one, if you crawl on the floor, you get all that feedback, right? Mm -hmm. Well, how can I make that harder? What if I crawled in a circle on sand where it was always shifting out from underneath my hands and my feet and causing my wrists and everything else to have to do all this other funky stuff? But then what if I did that in a completely dark box with absolutely zero light in it so that I can't see where I'm at and I can't like, so let me see if I'm claustrophobic basically while I crawl in circles on sand. So that's, that's John. <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable and folks if you google uh youtube john you'll see like he tried to break a card tearing record uh came real close on kathy lee and regis back in the day uh, i just know and i mentioned this on our uh, the first time tim was on the show is i remember after this barrel training certification after lunch like we were done and i remember tim at, at osi they have these long beams that they'll use for balancing and I just remember looking over and, and John was just casually there with like, probably like, I don't know, like an eight foot beam resting on his chin, balancing on his chin. Like, not like trying to show off to anybody. He was just like, I think I'm going to rest this on my chin and make this happen. And he was just standing there. I'm like, you don't, well, first in New York, like nobody has ceilings that you could do that. So I'm like, that's amazing. I never saw that before. But, you know, it, you are somebody that I see in that light. Again, going back to the original thing about talking about you and John was I've seen you there, there was a, a period where Tim and I worked together a bunch where I was assisting. It was kind of my transition to becoming a coach. And during a break or if I was talking, Tim would be just pushing against the wall. I remember like in Albany, I think it was like a TRX S frame or something. And he would just be like pushing as hard as he can at weird angles into something. I'm like, okay, that's like, he's just keeping busy. And then Danny told the story how you were trying to push a wall down at the original OSI location and inevitably pushed through the wall. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, that was that was freaky because you know people would make fun of me, and I'd be like, "Yeah, that's cool, but if I ever move this wall, you'll know I'm strong." And that was my little that was my little <laughs> phrase. If I can move this wall, you'll know. 
and she was talking to me one day and I pushed the wall and it popped and buckled and all the way down the length of the room, it, it started popping like dominoes. <laughs> so and, you moved and, because they threw you out, not because you needed bigger space. Yeah, probably Tim, you can't be doing that. <laughs> Every <laughs> landlord's worst nightmare. No, um, no damage was done, but it was pretty funny. One of, one of the things that we discussed on the, on the first attempt at this uh, that I, I would like to touch back into, and we'll get more into the book as well, but one of the things I don't think a lot, I think a lot of us now have ideas about running workshops and presenting. Um, and I don't mean specifically for original strength. And, you know, I know in strength faction, one of the things that comes up is, is, you know, I want to presenting. It usually starts to be a little bit more from an in-service point of view for staffs, so either your own staff or somebody else's staff. And then it kind of grows from there. And one of the things I think that would be interesting for people to hear is when you, had the idea for Becoming Bulletproof, the original idea, the original book. It came out 2012, is that 2011. right? 2011. And then taking that into a workshop. What was the process in that? Um, it was all accidental uh, from how the book was written to how, how the workshop started, a complete non-intentional uh, accident. Uh, the book started out as uh, me being bored in a, a three hour staff meeting at the fire department writing on the minute notes. Um, and fortunately, uh, Dan, John, uh, and Larry Draper just told me to self publish it, and put it on the internet. And I did, uh, it got picked up miraculously, uh, through some very unusual means, um, through posting it on one exercise forum where the guy, a guy bought it, read it and put it on his blog within minutes of reading it. Cause it was, you know, I don't know, probably, 10 pages. <laughs> um, so he read it really quick, put it on his blog, said he liked it. And that guy happened to have the, one of the top 10 exercise uh, blogs in the world voted on by outside magazine. Um, oh, wow. And this is the day I put, I, the day I put it on the exercise forum is the day he bought it. The day he turned around and posted it, that he liked it on his, on his blog. It had millions of viewers a week. So that just kind of catapulted um, the, I guess, level of anybody knowing anything about becoming bulletproof my pdf 10 page pdf however long it was and um from there um you know jeff newport one day he's like hey what do you think about trying to run a, a workshop with this stuff i think there there'd be people that would like to like to you know experience it so we from from that we just he went on to his email list and just sent out this little email about hey would you like to try to move better and hurt less, something like that. We were going to do a four hour workshop on how to press reset on your body. And that's how it started. After that first one, when did you, did, at what point was it instantaneously or right after that? When did you start to be like, okay, this is something we can actually run with? Oh no. So the very first one, it was like watching kind of like watching miracles happen. It, the changes in people were so dramatic. And then after that first one, all those people that went to that, they were talking about it and they started talking about it where people contacted us. Hey, we would like to do this workshop. How about, would you come up to Boston? So, so we did our next one in Boston, which was longer than four hours. <laughs> so it was a, it was a, like a six or eight hour workshop. That's where um, I kind of came in. Cause that's when I started reaching out to Jeff first. Cause you and I didn't know each other, but I had known Jeff through the kettlebell world and uh, 
that's when we started trying, but it was like actually hard to get it scheduled in because all of a sudden everyone was booking you guys up. Yeah. So once it started, it kind of, kind of went at a good clip. Um, and it just kept growing from there. I'd say it was also, it's just, again, it's, it's, a, it's totally on the basis of the quality of the material, but also that was an interesting time in social media land that posts weren't getting, um, I felt like the algorithms were a little more open and fair to help promote workshops or, or products or something as opposed to like Facebook hadn't quite nailed, you know, the advertising commodity or monetizing that the same way. And I remember being very cool because, again, this is all maybe my third, fourth year in fitness where, you know, I could have a workshop or a course at Five Points Academy, put up a post, a bunch of people would see it, a bunch of people would sign up, and then, you know, they tended to do very well, but that would also bring light when they traveled somewhere else. And now I feel like that's a, it was a sweet spot as a group to be coming up we're becoming bulletproof and then into OS because right now I think it's actually a little harder to help spread the word on certain things. Like you didn't have to worry about like, is the link in the post or is the link in the comments, that type of stuff. Uh, because I know I suddenly start, started seeing it. I think um, the Rosslers, Alex Salkin, I, I think were some of the early, maybe it might've been Whitley too, some of the early people that had gone through. And then you and I met finally at the second strong first third ever in Boston speaking of Boston and oddly enough ended up like driving around together in the same car with Jeff and finally made it happen for New York, which I guess was the birth of the official birth of the leadership team. Yeah, it was, which was a pretty cool thing that to not only be a part of as being part of that team, but also as somebody hosting the workshop, seeing all of a sudden, like everyone was coming to that one. Like if you look at the roster who was there, it's amazing doesn't really happen that way that often from for most education systems yeah, so it's, uh, it's, it's really wild for sure and so the course starts taking off word is getting out you're booking more when does the name change happen from becoming bulletproof to original strength so about uh and you know time's funny it's either 2012 or 2013 um we did a two-day Becoming Bulletproof workshop in Virginia. Um, and right before that weekend, there was a, a school shooting up north on, on the East Coast. I think it was in Maryland, actually, um, or Connecticut. Might have been Connecticut. But anyway, people were very sensitive, and it came up uh, after the workshop that people were pretty sensitive to the name Becoming Bulletproof. Um, and and it, it Jeff started talking about, well, it would be a shame if the name – prevents people from actually experience the message that we're trying to, to share with everyone. So what if we had a less offensive name that did not shut people out before they ever even got in the doors to see what it was all about? Um, so, and then, so we, I agreed that, that he had a good point and, and then a few days later, he's like, Hey, what about the name original strength? And, and I think I told you this the other day, I don't even think he got the whole syllable of strength out before I said, yes, that is it let's do that so that's how that's how the name changed it, it, it is a perfect name i mean it's just it, it, we talked about this as well everything's gonna be a little bit like we talked about it the other day but uh original uh, aside from being involved in the brand if i didn't know it and i was just looking for cool names to name a, a gym or a system original strength and miraquan and tony spot industrial strength i think are two of the best names out there 
just super straightforward, right to the point, but also have that carryover in a lot of ways. When, when did the naming of Pressing Reset come about? When did that come across as like a concept? Because I can't remember right now. I haven't read the Becoming Bulletproof since before I met you. Were they, were they listed as resets at that point? Yeah, I, I always used them as resets, um, but it really became big. Like So after I wrote the, the Becoming Bulletproof PDF, which became the book, I wrote this really small Pressing Reset PDF that I put online too. And it really just cut through all the clutter of everything. Um, and that's when that, that phrase really started reaching, uh, gaining more traction too. Um, and that little PDF is the one that Dan John got hold of that he really liked. Um, and that also didn't, that didn't hurt anything because he would start telling people about pressing reset as well. <laughs> I know Dan, Dan's voice on something, um, really adds credibility to it. He's, he's one of those few, few people that I know that I've been around with that, you know, he, and he's told me things that I'm in, you know, he, he's come up to me, he's seen me present on certain things. He'd be like, you know, I love this about this. I don't think this is, I think this is where it could be. And he's also told me like, um, we, we, we both presented at the Dragon Door Health and Strength Conference. And I was doing something for Josh Hankin, who was dealing with some back issues at the time. And Dan, Dan spoke, and then I spoke, and I did a thing on sandbags and a get-up with a sandbag. And his, I'm, I hate to say I'm forgetting her name, his assistant at the time came up and demoed. I had her, I coached her through this sandbag get-up, and he came up after we were hanging out having a drink, and he was like, you know, I got to be honest, I, 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 I see so much validity in Josh's system, but I didn't know that get-up was going to have such a difference versus a kettlebell until I saw her go through it. And I thought that was really cool, you know, that he was, he's open to say like, Hey, I didn't necessarily buy that until it was proven to me. Um, but he also was like super supportive, even on that end, like giving ideas on like, I think you should try to do this. And one of those guys that's just super generous. And we, we spoke about this, Dan John, for somebody of his legendary status, his new book, uh, 40 years with a whistle out now, uh, literally will walk into a room with no matter how many people that are there to see him and give his cell phone. And yeah. legitimately be okay with you trying to call him. It's crazy. Um, did you see with Jeff's involvement and then later with Dan's just support of it? And then at this point with Dan's, I know like Whitley started really getting involved. Fabio, you know, was becoming a big uh, supporter of it as well. When did you start to see how widespread it was becoming through the kettlebell world? Oh, man. Uh, so the first probably the first year or so because that's where that's it, it went through the kettlebell world like uh grease lightning and that's where it was period like it was just inside the kettlebell world so for at least for the first for first two years and then it started seeping outside of the kettlebell world um and going into weird places like uh physical therapy uh chiropractic care um other uh occupational therapy and and then and then just uh regular folks that just wanted to start moving well um it was very concentrated though in the beginning in the kettlebell world i know the interesting thing for me is i get a lot of cross referrals with physical therapists and clinicians and clearly when we teach the, the certifications there's always some cl clinicians there and i know we have clinician specific programs but what's funny is somebody will 
come and start training with me, whether or not they were a direct referral, but they'll mention that they've had this injury history and they start coming in and I start taking them through, you know, like the OSA or their first program. And they're like, oh, I know these dead bugs. I know this one rocking. I know these bird dogs. And certainly there's crossovers with other systems. But it's funny how that's become uh, so ingrained. And, you know, on one end, they view that as, oh, that's my rehab. And on my end, I'm like, that's just part of your strength training. I think that's one of the coolest things with OS um, is how focusing on that side fits with everything. And I love it that it doesn't have to like, yeah, it could be homework, but that it's not correctives in terms of a name. And I'm not oversensitive with names, but correctives are broken. Always seems a little, I don't know, limiting and a self-belief. People like to believe that they're uh, truly broken or can't fix all the way. And certainly there's some structural stuff that just is what it is that we have to deal with. But I don't think people give themselves enough, enough, uh, enough of a shot and belief that they can actually get better. Well, the biggest, I think the biggest advantage that comes with OS is a paradigm shift um, because OS doesn't focus on what you can't do. It focuses on what you can do and it also focuses on how you're made. Um, so it's not that we, we don't ever use words like you're broken or, you, um, or anything or correctives for the most part, but we just, we, we, we show people how to start where they are, wherever their body is able to move. That's great. Let's start right there. And let's just start strengthening your nervous system again and turning on all the, the right light switches that your body needs to move well and feel good the way it's supposed to. So I think there's a message of uh, hope that comes along with OS that really people grab hold of so that they even will do it at home for homework or wherever. Um, because, well, one, it feels good. And two, they know that it's going to help them. So it kind of, kind of, you know, if, it, if something lights your wick, you, 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 you want to keep doing it a little bit. I think that paradigm shift also, that OS took me a long time to wrap my head around or to let, let it go actually, is that good, better, best, you know, thing where people can do their homework and they can enjoy it because they don't feel like they have to micromanage it or they're doing something wrong if they're doing it on their own. Like when people come in with me to learn how to do say kettlebell swings or something, there's that, well, what bell should I get? Do you think I'm ready to train at home? And I'm like, I think you're ready, but you have to think you're ready because there's a level of technique and that with that comes safety and, you know, you have to be mindful of yourself, how to run your own race, where whether it's like, you know, most of the resets, you don't have to worry about that at all. Just try it. And if it hurts, stop. If you start breathing out of your mouth, you know, like the, 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 the pre-qualifiers to stop are so easy with OS if you're honest with yourself about it. And I think the interesting thing, how you were mentioning with clinicians is the same way people tried to push into the 10 minute crawl too fast. I do think some people hit this from a clinician eye, whether they're not usually the clinicians themselves, but people come to OS thinking that they are broken and this is going to be the quick heal. And I think there's a quick positive response, but I think one of the frustrations, it's interesting that I haven't seen it at a course in a while, but I know, um, at one of the courses years ago in New York, there, were, there, there was a woman who was pretty banged up in her mind and was frustrated that she wasn't coming out with some sort of, you know, miraculous full recovery from something. And I think that's a hard one too. You know, you have the people that have this fitness mindset of like, I'm just going to crush myself and, and just power through everything. And then on the other one, you have the sense of just like, I need this quick thing. This will be it. And if it doesn't do it, then I'm on to the next quick thing. Instead of on both of these spectrums, you have to have the patience to just sort of earn it. And then they actually meet in the middle somehow where you're just moving well and accomplishing all your goals. 
No, that's I, I, I think that's good. Uh, that's a great way to explain it. You can't, you can't force, you, you can't force OS. You can't force your way into something as much as you, you have to be patient and allow yourself to find the power in something, um, which is different. So it's, you know, your expectations or your beliefs and all this stuff, well, they're, they're, they can be very liberating or very limiting. It just depends on, depends on your approach. I think that's one of the great things if people were to, more people were to come to the OS Pro course. And, and I mean, they, they, they fill up, but hearing Dan and Mike talk about the, uh, you know, the, the clinician side of it and knowing that, look, there are structural things. You still might need to go to a chiropractor. You still might, you still will likely, you know, depending on where you're at, need other help or you might not be able to go like fully overhead because there's some significant structural stuff. But what I, I don't think people realize where they think they can go and where they actually can go are two hugely different things. I think people just like that limit is way exaggerated in our heads. And I can see where I could do this or, or a lot of stuff just to myself. But then there are some things where like you might want to be a 60-year-old MMA fighter and maybe it's not the best thing for you right now depending on how you are. But then again, maybe you can get one fight. I don't know whether that's the best thing for you or not. But I think there's that missed thing that I think comes home very clearly in a good applicable way of, yeah, there is a point of structural integrity. There is a point where like, this is how your body is. It's like saying like, I really want to race this car down the road, but right now I only have three tires. Until you get that tire sorted out, the fourth one, you're not really going to be able to race very fast or at least not very far. But it's like starting to figure out how do you, how do you fix that? How do you get the new tire on? Does that make sense? I think I just rambled a little bit. It does. Well, I, I, I can give you a, a for instance for me. Um, I know what OS can do. Um, and I like to do certain things. So to me, OS helps you live your life the way you want to or helps you live life better. Um, but I know that my body is designed to heal now. So there have been times since, so since I've learned OS in the last five years that I have hurt myself. <laughs> The, the advantage I have now is, is that, okay, I know my body's designed to heal. So I may not be able to run sprints today because I probably shouldn't and it's not good for me. I need to allow my body to heal, but I know that it will so that I do know that soon I will be running sprints again. Um, so it helps, you, it helps you let go of some of that angst and anxiety and stress over your situation and know that, you know what, this is going to pass because I'm designed for this to heal up so that it will pass and I'm still going to be able to do the stuff I want to do because I know I'm going to heal. I know I'm going to feel good again. So it kind of helps you let go of those, uh, those, that grip a little bit so that you can loosely still enjoy your life and know that, Hey, this is, this is going to soon be okay. It sort of goes all the way back to when you mentioned that can do attitude by getting through some of these resets and through some of these tougher, tougher challenges. Cause I think a lot of us get caught in the can't, can't do paradigm of, you know, I know I have a bad back or I know I have these, this knee issue. And again, structural is one thing, but a lot of that stuff isn't really necessarily structural, but we, we, we've made these excuses for it. You know, I, I had somebody who's like, keeps dealing with this lower back issue and it's just because something's not firing and it hasn't been addressed, but it's really easy to just say, this is something I live with and then something I, I address, right? There's a thing yes. where, and on the other side of that, it's easy for people to define themselves in their pain and what hurts and if they start to lose the progress then you sort of have to address and start looking at the other things in life that aren't good does that make sense so work can be super stressful but my back is what's jacked 
Right. But if my back's actually, if I actually allow my back to just not be my back, suddenly I have to actually focus a little bit more time on, oh, it's actually my job that sucks or is stressing me out. Uh, and, and maybe I'm actually just willing this back pain because I'm, I'm able to define myself by this pain. It's a, it's a really tricky thing. And then there's like the legitimate stuff. Like, you know, we mentioned, uh, our, our, our pup Ramona flowers, uh, had hip surgery this week and, and knee surgery. And she's in, she's in rough shape. She'll be fine. But Kim and I have been sleeping on the couch. Kim's actually been sleeping on the floor next to her now. So I woke up, my back was killing me yesterday because I'm sleeping in a crap position. I'm sleeping like a few hours a night. That's like legit. That's not in my head. But then I move around and I'm like, I don't stop moving because of that. I adjust how I move. And then suddenly like I'm swinging a, a mace yesterday that I haven't cracked open in like three or four months. Whereas I think a lot of people just be like, I can't do anything right now. And I think it's trying to find out for yourself what are the right things. But I think OS sort of helps put that philosophy of, okay, so like right now, maybe I can't do this. I'm going to go to where I can. I'm going to do that and enjoy that. And that'll help open the door back up for that other thing when I'm ready for it. Absolutely. As opposed to to just limiting all movement down. So, yeah. So you're not limited by what you can't do. You're only limited by what you don't do. So if you start where you are and you do what you can, you can find an infinite amount of things or joys and things that you can do if you if you engage them. It's super true. I think I'd say from the simplicity side of OS, if I think now about how OS has impacted my stuff and clearly folks like welcome to the OS commercial. I mean, this is a weird one because I started as, as a user and now I'm a master instructor, but uh, <laughs> I'm not just the president. I'm a club. <laughs> I'm not only the hair club president. Uh, I am now the third bald master instructor. Um, <laughs> OS. But from a programming perspective for me, it definitely had an impact in how I chased weights because I'd say I got caught up in the how heavy can I lift to uh, prove it to myself. And if I go on an ego check now years later, probably to prove my worth to others by how heavy can I do certain things with kettlebells or whatnot or chasing deadlifts. And that's kind of when Tim and OS came into my life. Um, where I was actually dealing with back trouble, Tim through an OS program that involved purely OS kettlebells and a sandbag, uh, helped get me out of that. And every now and then still fires up, but I also am aware now that I carry my stress in my lower back. I also, if I looked at all the activities I do, that's where it, it all sort of links in, uh, into my left QL because I'm a, I'm a regular stance skateboarder. So I'm always in a certain spot. Whenever I rotate, it's from one spot. From doing Muay Thai for four and a half, five years, same same spot. So like I know that it's there, but I also know now what I need to do to address it and how to get out of it. And I don't have the fear that that's never going to go away. Uh, it doesn't stress me out the same way. It's like you said, Tim, you, you sometimes get a little tweaked or hurt, and you do the things you can do knowing that thing will be back there waiting for you. So OS and the influence of that is it definitely shifted the perspective from – you know, how heavy can I go to how well can I feel? And certainly DVRT had an influence on me, a huge one, like how well can I move overall, even under load, as opposed to just looking for maximal loads, but how well can I move in the other planes of motion as well? And I think that's why like OS and DVRT in particular, even though they spread through the kettlebell world, are, are so wonderfully in sync, even though I don't think enough people realize that. 
yeah, I think, I think one of the hardest things that I had to, and I think we all deal with it is, is, well, how much is enough? What do I really need? What do I want to do? And like, do we live by other people's standards? And I think I struggled with that one for so long because, well, you're not strong if you can't deadlift X amount of weight, or if you can't, you can't, you know, squat this much times your body weight. Like, well, who made those standards and why am I trying to live to them? And like, and are they really good for me to live to anyway? Or can I not just be strong and enjoy my life? And can I be strong enough to enjoy my life? So where's that threshold at? And when, when do I cross it? When am I so strong that now I'm not enjoying as much as I was? Or when do I start aching? When do I start hurting? And am I even approaching strength training in the right way to start with? Who says I'm supposed to lift weights? Who came up with lifting weights? Is that the only way I'm, is, is that the way the human body's designed to get strong? Like there's all the, there's a rabbit hole that you can start to go down. Like, was I born to lift weights? No, who, where, where did those come into play? Because a man made weightlifting, they made I, that. <laughs> I wish I could figure it, uh, the exact phrase out. My friend uh, and one of my other mentors, Gavin Van Black, uh, owner of Physical Culture Collective out in Bushwick, Brooklyn. He has a great way of saying it, how like exercise, Exercise is a man-made invention to make up for the lack of humans moving. Like, yeah. it's not, we're it's actually, like, it's an unnatural thing. Fitness is an unnatural thing to make Absolutely. up for the lack of us doing natural things. If we're designed to move, and we are, then movement is, is all we need to do, <laughs> and we'll be strong. Yeah, it's, it's so bizarre. So I know that was a big shift for me. I started shifting off a of lot. Now, like, sometimes, like, I'm, I, I sometimes have a goal, and I'll try to get to a certain weight on something. But the, the stress level or fear of failing is so low. I just don't have that anymore. Yeah. And uh, it, it's interesting. I've been training my buddy Jack for years now. He's kind of my longest running consistent client since I, I left my previous field to become a coach. And he's, we had this conversation. It's funny thinking about fitness philosophies. I was like, we had this conversation the other day because he's now deadlifting. He barbell deadlifts and, you know, he's, 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 he's in the low to mid threes across the board. Just hit a PR, the uh, two rep PR the other day, uh, two weeks ago. But it's been such a slow build going back up to it because he had hit it, then we took a break. And then when he came back, I, my philosophy had shifted in that break over the last few years. And now it's so slow. It's kind of like what I mentioned with the bells, like 315 to 335 for him is like what 135 or 185 might have been two years ago. It doesn't seem like he's lifting heavy. It's just his new baseline. And so like the, the load doesn't have to be something that you fear either. It's just, you have to think about like how fast are we getting there? Why are we getting there? And then there is that point of diminishing return. Like, right. I, don't, like I don't understand like some of those standards, like, is that really going to help? Like if a, a mom or dad, yeah. to be able to like just play with their kids more or, you know, uh, be able to not so much in the now, but hold themselves up, walk taller in the, in the later, you know, now I'm in that mode too, where I'm starting to think about the later. Well, not only that, well, like, don't talk to me unless you can lift this much weight. Cause then you're not, you're not strong until you can. Well, who makes those, who makes those stupid rules up? And, and, and to me, that's almost weakness. <laughs> it's know? a really, it's a really bizarre thing. Someone posted up a, a, a comment about sit-ups the other day. Um, uh, person uh this isn't made to rip on you at all but he posted up about like how if your coach has you doing sit-ups you should reevaluate how you spend your money or where you train and i'm like you know uh coming back from how i got started at, at, a, at a muay thai gym five points academy like we did sit-ups at the end of every class uh historically speaking uh, a lot of trainers now don't believe in running or, or any of that stuff but what, what's one of the biggest foundational things 
in boxing and martial arts, it's, it's road work. Um, they do sit-ups. Now, is it the best for everybody? Is it the best core exercise? No, but is a little bit of like actual like flexion, like the end world. And, and you know what I mean? It's like finding that thing, but it's these blanket statements. And, you know, if somebody, you know, you're not, don't, don't coach me unless you have this lift, you know, this much weights, or right. don't go to that person. And I've done this too. Uh, I made a comment once about swings on BOSU balls. And, and again, I'm not going to have somebody do it. But I made a comment like, hey, if your coach ever has you do something, a swing on a BOSU ball, ask them why. And then if they don't have an answer, maybe check in with me or, or, or see if that answer is actually valid. And a friend of mine that I respect, a great coach, actually called me out on it. And uh, I took the post down and I explained that, like, look, I got a different perspective on this thing. For me, it came down to, is that the thing you advertise or is that the specialty you do with a certain population? You know what I mean? Like I'm higher end people ready for it, but it had a purpose. But in kettlebell land in particular, but fitness overall, we love to say that if you're not doing the, like the 10 things we do, you're doing it wrong or that we're better than you. And I, I've got grown, grown so frustrated. Okay. Frustrated is an overworld. I don't lose sleep over it, but I want to just be like, could you just chill out? <laughs> like, yeah, there's enough negativity on social media without having a rip on somebody's kettlebell swing because there's a little bit of extension or it's slightly squatting. I, I think that's a, that's a growth thing though. Like we've all done that. We've all go, go through it and it's a maturity and a growth thing where, and, and part of OS for me or becoming bulletproof even like, so I call the book the becoming bulletproof project because it's an ongoing growth thing. Um, and the more you learn about yourself and the more or the less you take yourself so serious, um, the more you see that there is actually supposed to be freedom in movement and they're not supposed to be a, a list of rigid roles that actually expands out to everything else too, where you can see things and, and take it more for what it is instead of trying to draw lines in the sand at everything too. The whole point of that is, is that we are continually, I think, supposed to grow as we're here. Um, and if we always get stuck though, if we never get out of this stuck mindset, well then, then we are truly not growing. We are stuck. But, but what you're describing is, is this growth phase of Steve Hollander or coach Fury. I'm sorry. I'm the only one. I'm the <laughs> Who's only one. Steve that. <laughs> Who is that guy? So funny. How I had to explain that, you know, uh, I'm finally got space to teach classes out of, um, down the street. And it's, it's always weird when I, it's within a dance studio and I'm trying to introduce myself as like, hi, I am coach Fury. <laughs> and not Steve Hollander. It's bizarre. Like you, you really, I think you and you're one of the few people that like legitimately and Josh and Jessica Henkin and Bento, they, they still call me Steve, but most people are like, what up Fury or, or coach, which is still bizarre to hear myself viewed as a coach, which I know is like legit, but it's just cracks. Oh, me you're up. a coach. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, when I started the nickname, that was kind of the joke cause I had never been on a team sport or anything. Um, it's a, you know, I guess in a weird way of manifest destiny, I grew into that role. But yeah, I think it's important to like address and allow growth. And some of the times, some of the comments I see, I feel like it is, a, it is a sense that some people are gotten stuck because they're trying to market themselves or define themselves against the negativity of others versus I really over the last few years and it started my last year at MFF, which I guess was like 2017 or it's probably 2016, my last full year is like really trying to remove my ego out of it and, and making it less about me and more about uh, the people that I'm training and the systems that I serve when I teach, you know, um, and how I combine those things. 
is how do I get my ego out of the way? And, and within that, let my personality shine. You know, how do I really just allow myself to be myself when I'm, when I'm in a room or presenting myself? And within that, I, I don't want to define myself by how I'm better than others. I want to just define myself by how I'm good or, or you know, like by, by the good I do, not by the, I guess the better phrase is this. I want to define myself by the good I do, not the bad that others do. Um, which I think is a weird thing because it's so easy to like try to elevate yourself by, by crapping on something. And, uh, you know, more importantly in, in, in the work of my, my members, you know, like in the, the Fury crew, like how well are they doing? Right. And, and defining it that as opposed to putting another system on blast. And I, it slips up in the podcast. We're all human. You know, there's yeah. things that, you know, come around that you're like, ugh, that's going to be a fitness headache. But this space that I'm moving into, and this is just for the class program, it's an awesome little studio. The owners, Val and Heidi, are amazing. I'm really excited about it. Room to grow. We're, we're moving in three months before a massive CrossFit opens up. Right next door, basically, one and a half blocks down. And you know what? Like, I have zero concerns about any type of competition with a, with a big high-end CrossFit. And it's not that I don't say that as a diss on CrossFit. I just whatever. If an Orange Theory went in there, I'm not that. I do this thing or these things. I'll find my folks that way. Or I won't. You know what I no. mean? And I'll be back in the living room. But it's worked for me so far. You will. So... And so here's the thing, what's going to happen with that is CrossFit, that CrossFit that's moving in will do what it does very well. If it were Orange Theory, it would do what it does very well. And what you're going to do is what only you can do very well. So I, I yes, you will, it, everything will be just fine. So it's not like, it's not about trying to damper someone else's light. It's just about trying to shine your light as bright as you possibly can. I should say, though, if this CrossFit uses Godzilla as a mascot, we've got a problem. Well, then you know they've been spying on. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, since we've been going on for a little bit, let, let's talk about the book again real quick. What, what are you hoping people will get out of the book um, as, as they take their OS foundations that they've been building upon and they start to apply these? You know, I, I, they are certainly physically challenging, but I, I, I agree with you on this. Uh, the mental aspect, I think, is actually the harder thing to overcome probably than the physical capability of it. Uh, at least if I was looking in the mirror, well, I sort of am because we're on video conference right now. I'm looking at myself as I say that. What, what are you hoping you'll see people get out of the book? I guess my biggest uh, hope would be the actual um, subtitle of the book is Discovering the Hero Within. I, I think if, if there were a message in it is that, that, that people do realize that, you know what? I am supposed to be a hero. This is my purpose. And, and like they find their, and I know it sounds weird, right? But if it can just help someone sharpen their purpose while they're here, what they're capable of, um, that they are amazing and they're, they're capable of amazing things. I, I think that would be, that, that would be my lofty goal for somebody. It's a valid goal. It, it's interesting. It, it sort of circles back how you mentioned how some people get stuck in their own growth. But some people also get stuck in their own uh, expectations of where they can go. And I, I, I've got someone that would define themselves as being frail and has been just progressing and progressing and, and is, is, is enjoying the progress in that, but is viewing it in the context of, of not getting worse as they get older because they feel like they've been getting, you know, a lot of, a lot of the mindset when you hit, even in like late 20s, people are already like, oh, I'm so old right now. I'm like, Come on now. <laughs> right? yeah. 
you know, but when you're hitting your thirties, you start feeling like, Oh, this is age catching up, you know, like it's clobbering me. And, you know, I, I, I look at myself as an example. Certainly there are certain physical things that, uh, uh, are different about me now that I'm older, but I'll also say I can do a lot of things that 20 year olds can't do. And I yeah. don't view myself as somebody that's turning 47 this year. And I, I wish that mindset for most people would be like, not kind of how can I stop getting worse, but how can I keep getting better? And I think that's a weird thing. Cause even if I were to take a break off of training for like six months, I bet I could pick up a kettlebell and still physically be stronger than I was when I was in high school. Yes. Now I might not come back from a fall on a skateboard quite the same way, but human capability, like the ability to touch my toes, how I've done pistol squats in the past, like those things are, I could have never done that in high school. And I just wish on a mindset level too. Do you think what part of like, this is a big ask of a question, like, but what part of the human condition do you think it is for us as we get older that we stop looking that we can actually get better? And that we start just trying to, you know, even when we make the, the valid goal of not getting worse, like that is a valid goal. It gets you to the gym, but it, it's a self-limiting mindset. Uh, and it doesn't let you appreciate becoming, I, you know, unleashing the hero within. I, I think it's a false belief system. Um, I think our biggest problem is, is we settle on things. And, and here's my easiest example of this. Say Joe is 22 years old and Joe hurts his back. Joe's 22. I bet you a million dollars Joe doesn't think, man, getting old sucks. Because Joe hurt his back at age 22. Joe could have the same back injury at age 42 and say, man, getting old sucks. But, you know, but why? why? What is the difference other than his perception of time? But I, I've seen 18-year-olds that have to have knee surgeries. I've seen, you know, but, but, if somebody, but if somebody in their 60s has to have one, man, getting old sucks. This happens when you get old. You just start falling apart. Well, what the hell happened to the 18-year-old? Was it because he was eight? Was it, was it because he was old? Or did just something just happen? So I think it's just our false belief systems that we just, we're willing to settle on these lies that, and we make them true because where the mind goes, the body will follow. No matter what you're doing, whether you're training or whether you're just sitting around believing things, where the mind goes, the body will follow. It, it becomes almost a scapegoat. Uh, yeah, it's an easy deny, out. To, to deny self-ownership of whatever's happening. It's an right? easy out. I've got no, I can't fix this. I can't do anything about it. I'm just stuck here. It's my, it's an out. Whereas I don't think that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, hey, I think that's actually a good spot to wrap this one up. We did it. The Wi-Fi connected. Um, where, where can people find the book and find more about you and OS? So there's this uh, wonderful website called Amazon.com. And the book is on Amazon.com uh, as a Kindle and a real paperback book that you can physically hold and touch and sleep with. And we also have OriginalStrength.net. The book is available there. And you had another question that I completely lost. What was that? I don't know. I think it was just to find out about the book or about OS. Oh, OS. You can find out about OS, believe it or not, on originalstrength.net. <laughs> and all these will be in the show notes. Uh, important question. Did you get your endgame tickets? I got my endgame tickets within two seconds of them going live. Um, <laughs> so I had the miracle. nightmare process of it. Like it was, I got caught in the, the Alamo Drafthouse uh, app died. And uh, man, I managed to finally get on Findango on the, on, on the 7th, on, tw on the 27th, that Saturday. But uh, 
so last night couldn't sleep because of the dog and i threw on winter soldier which i haven't seen in a while Ooh. and and for before when it came out i put that as my second favorite because it oh, came yes, out before sir. guardians fantastic uh, movie so what would you say are your top three or four marvel films as we're on i mean it's two like we're gonna find out the end of, of infinity war in t like 20 days or less what are you what would you put as your top three or four? Oh my gosh well top would be captain america winter soldier and then the first avengers movie uh <laughs> Well, I'm glad you gave me four. Civil War was pretty good because Spider. I think they just the way they did Spider Man. It just made me so happy. Um, and then definitely Infinity Wars. Now, that's that's my stream for my heroes. But I will give Marvel the, the hugest nod ever for Guardians of the Galaxy because it's the one movie I cared nothing about and the one movie I walked away thinking this is my new Star Wars. I love it. You know, it's funny how you mentioned Star Wars. I, I would say that too. Uh, Guardians is the one of them that if that if it was not part of the Marvel world, I I would love it just as much as if it was. Yeah. And if Star Wars never existed, uh, Star Lord Chris Pat Pratt would be my Harrison Ford. Yeah, uh, he's, I love he's that one. Han Solo, man. It was awesome. Yeah. So I, I'm going to go uh, Avengers 1 just because even this far in, that's the first time like they Marvel had been doing some great movies and bringing stuff off the page to life, but to see them all together like that and how well that script was written and paced out was amazing. It was. So I'm going to go Avengers. Then I'm going to go uh, guardians of the galaxy because again, I just think it's uh, I didn't, I, I think I'd read maybe two issues. I didn't know anything about them. Uh, the way that they delivered and attached and we were just watching it on cable the other night. It's, it still holds up. Like there's, there's not a dull point in that one. Guardians 2 has its moments, also is a little scattered for me. But Guardians is, is amazing. I'm going to go Winter Soldier. Um, after re-watching it, uh, Civil War had started to take it over a little bit. But then looking back at the emotional connection of Cap, sort of reviewing him fresh out of ice, still relatively trying to adapt, is amazing. So I'm going to go there. And then the fourth one's really tricky, because I want to say Infinity War. But Infinity War wouldn't be that good without all the other ones. It doesn't stand, like, it, it can't stand unto itself. Although in some ways it's the biggest uh, overtaking they've done. Like, I, I still look at it. I'm like, how'd you pull this together? Those Russo brothers, man, that awesome. directed, uh, same guys did Winter Soldier, Civil War, and Infinity War, and now Endgame. That is so hard to do. Um, amazing. And, you know, I'm, I'm expecting to... Uh, have a nervous belly through three hours plus of, of end game and, and, and having Kleenexes on the ready and seeing where we go, <laughs> but it's going to be amazing. And I'm like, what's going to happen at the end, the end credit sequence. We don't know awesome. where we're going now. Yeah. So I'm excited for that one. Let, let's, let's be just not to be like super negative though, but what would you put as your, your three bottom Marvel movies? Oh, well, cause I think that's where people's opinions will differ. Yeah, yeah, because that's that that is definitely gonna differ for everybody. But for me, um, I can do without a lot of them. <laughs> so, uh, Thor, I thought the best Thor movie was Ragnarok. Um, that one really brought Thor home to me. Uh, but I I can do without the first Thor. I could do not without, but I mean it wasn't. It's in my bottom. Um, bottom, uh, the first Captain America. Not not on my, high on my list. Uh, honestly, 
Ant-Man, the first one, it was good, but I, I would only, like, it's one of those I would only watch once. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I, I, but I love Ant-Man and Wasp. I've already watched it twice, two and a half times, maybe three times. Um, it's funny. I'm funny that way, though. Uh, Black Panther, only watch once. I got what I needed out of it. I'll never, I'll probably never watch that movie again. <laughs> Black Panther is one that I thoroughly enjoyed, and I think it deserves a lot of, like, you know, the praise that it got, by all means. Um, but in terms of like overall, I also felt like that one became almost a little too much action fest for me at the end. Yeah. I was yeah, tired. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, certainly it has its merits both culturally and as a film. But again, it's, it kind of strikes me like Wonder Woman did where Wonder Woman's like a very good DC film, but that's not necessarily setting a benchmark compared to almost all of the Marvel movies. Right. So I, I had issues with that one just on that for all of the hype that it was getting. But I think I saw like Black Panther still made more than Infinity War at the end in the box office. I could be wrong on that, but at some point. So when you think about culturally how well that movie do, did, um, oh. regardless of it being like the first real, you know, black superhero and not just being a black superhero, but also just really the, the beauty of that one is that it also just really identified a superhero with, you know, African culture you know and, and, and infusing that was awesome but when you compare it to infinity war which has been 10 years in the making it's kind of like wow that it made more yeah. money that that's weird and the only reason so what i wanted out of black panther was the black panther that was in civil war and to me because that guy was epic he was like he has movie. one of the him and spider-man potentially have two of the best yeah. intros in the marvel universe of all yes the Black Panther in Civil War to me was my new favorite superhero. And then, so I was hoping for that. And when I got to the Black Panther, it just wasn't like some of the fight scenes were, they were almost um, too CGI for me. Yeah, I, I would say that's where I, it lost me a little bit. They were too CGI. It went cartoonish on me. And I wanted the, the guy who was kicking tail in Civil War, like that it looked just so real. It was just amazing. Um, and I didn't get that. I, I, I've also, and this isn't Black Panther's fault in any way as a as a hero or the directors but there's this thing that happens in a lot of movies where it's like how do you create an enemy you make the exact like opposite version of the enemy so like you know in the first iron man movie which was a you know epic uh yes. it doesn't you know hold up necessarily in the same ways in terms of action and effects but like really great storytelling but you have iron man versus uh what is it iron monger was that his name a warmonger iron monger i think it's iron monger the, the jeff bridges one right yeah um and then in Hulk, you have Hulk versus Bad Hulk, right? You have Hulk versus Abomination. And then inevitably, all the way down the line into Black Panther, you have two people in Black Panther suits fighting. They just happen to have different colors. And I just so prefer when it's like some sort of slight character variation between the two. I mean, even in Ant-Man, the first one, which I actually quite love that movie, uh, it's Ant-Man versus another bug guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but for me, if I'm going to go bottom three or four, I think my least favorite one might be Captain Marvel, though I really loved when her powers were up. I don't have the same hate on that movie. This is also, I actually think almost all of, like the, the, the lesser of a Marvel movie is still a pretty amazing superhero movie. And if you oh, don't- Oh, they're still great movies. Yeah, if you think compared to what we had to deal with growing up, it, it's kind of amazing. Superman um, four. You know what? Superman for the quest for peace. <laughs> Even the third Superman, right? Wasn't that the one with Richard, Richard Pryor? Pryor? Richard Pryor. That was not a good movie. 
Um, I would say Thor Dark World is low on my list. I don't hate it. I actually quite enjoyed Thor, the first one. Thor's one of those guys that I, I, how they pulled off his powers is amazing visually. Yeah. So I'm stoked on that. And I really love, you know, the play of him, him and Loki and the Warriors 3 and that stuff. So I, I dug that one. And then I would put another one at the bottom. It's funny. First Avenger, uh, Captain America. I think of all of them, Captain America's are actually the best series within the grand series of all of them. I think all three of those are just amazing movies. Um, I don't think that one gets the love it deserves uh, from Joe Johnston. I don't know. The final one after that, I might go like Iron Man 3. Maybe. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. There's stuff yeah. I love about it, but it's not necessarily like a movie I'm going to watch again, but I don't think it was so, intended to be that. I think that's a good one for the bottom. I might, if I, I would probably, I would probably replace one of my bottom ones with that one because I was so disenchanted when he was flying around in the suit, saving people. And then the bus hit him and he wasn't actually in the suit. It totally just, it ruined it for me. <laughs> <laughs> the, I, I'll say the second viewing, I enjoyed that one more. The second viewing at home, because I think it's sometimes you have a, have not sure what that expectation is going to be is like in terms of action or time in suit and Iron Man three specifically doesn't have a lot of time in the suit. Um, but I did like seeing where it went and it'll be interesting to see. There's been rumors that that kid that he sort of teams up with, and I don't know if this will come to anything is going to have a role later on in the next phase of Marvel. Movie. Oh, wow. But I don't know. Uh, but anyway, on that note, it is time to tell the listeners to die mighty. Tim, you tell the listeners to die mighty. Hey listeners. Thanks for listening. Die mighty. <laughs> Dude. Thanks for coming on and uh, doing the, the rebate do over show and congrats on the book. And I look forward to hopefully seeing you. Well, I know I'll see you soon, but uh, Tim and I might be getting out to Japan within the That's next right. year together. Um, and and lots of cool stuff. Going to have some fury time. Yeah, man. Uh, go to all the Godzilla spots. That's right. <laughs> and listeners, thanks for, uh, for tuning in. If that's how you do it or downloading down, whatever you call it <laughs> and uh, check out Tim's book and we'll have uh, links for that. And you know, all the, all the socials and websites on the show notes and uh, stay tuned for the next episode. The Coach Fury podcast is created, owned, and produced by Steve Coach Fury Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by The FTW. Visit the FTW.nyc for band, tour, music, and merch info. Artwork created by Glenn Gurrieta. Visit glengurrieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or follow him on Instagram at glengurrieta. Voiceover by Laura Palmer.